Welcome to Unapologetically Successful Podcast. Today we are here with Anthony Shepherd, who is a very close friend of mine today. Um, but I'm very, very honored to have such a beautiful relationship and, and really I'm seeing you as such an inspiration to what can be achieved and who we can become. Um, I will get Tony to speak about himself a little bit more, but I just thought that we should focus on number of really important aspects is we would not have, or, or I guess, the fact that we today have the tunnel, the Sydney Harbour Tunnel, the way it is, you made really possible and, and there are so many stories about it and how it all happened. And I think when people drive through the tunnel or even the impact it had on Sydney, I don't know if it was possible to actually appreciate and understand as, as you were going through that. Also, um, we've met actually when you, when you are a chair of the Giants and you know, to build and, and create such a fabulous uh, club, it takes a lot of determination and passion for the sport and what you've achieved is incredible and the people you managed to rally to stand behind and support the club. And, and also your appreciation and love for arts and culture, which we will go into in, in, in a few minutes. But for the listeners, I just would like everyone to sort of imagine that we are sitting in a room full of incredible artwork, that every single piece sort of makes me stop in my sentence and I just want to take it in, breathe. And I, I think that there's just so much in, interesting complexity and, and depth to, to what you, who you are and what you've achieved. So can we go through how did it all start? Well, it happens by accident and serendipity. My life has just been a series of uh, new adventures and, and uh, things changing and opportunity emerging. And I, I've always grabbed the opportunity. I've always moved with the times. And I think the biggest sin in life is to be bored. And you must always be active and you must always be trying to achieve something. And that's what's driven me my whole life. And I guess that comes from my mother and father, really. It's a, so yeah. your parents, and, and part of the podcast and what we're actually saying is that it is, it is events or moments in our childhood right. that shape our future. So obviously your parents were very encouraging, provided a very encouraging environment that allowed yeah. you safely to step into yeah. opportunities. Do you, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, look, we, we had a humble childhood uh, and there was five children. I was uh, one of the five with four sisters. And I think that's one of the reasons I always get on so well with women, because <laughs> I, I, I had to. <laughs> But uh, our parents, you know, uh, they both worked very hard to make sure that we got a good education and that we all had a chance to go to university and what have you. And their whole goal in life was to make sure that we were a success. And I think at the end of the day, my father was incredibly surprised that I did make it because at school I was very lazy. <laughs> so was it that you were not interested or you just had so many other interests? Well, oh, no, that's it. I, I had a very narrow attention span and uh, I talked too much in class and <laughs> my teachers always said I was lazy and careless and more interested in sport and stuff like that but uh, you know. Did it, you go back later on and said haha? Yeah, not really, you never do. But it, it was that sort of, um, that, that upbringing though with discipline and 
that it drove me. And then finally, you know, when you mature, you think I've got to, I've got to put my head down and get to work now. And I've so got to get happen? my degree. That probably happened uh, when I was about eighteen. I'd, um, I, uh, I finally get a Commonwealth scholarship. My father couldn't afford to put another person through university because uh, I didn't get a scholarship. And he said, look, you'll have to pay for yourself. So oh. I went to... It always helps when you pay for things. And right? then, then you start to realise the value of money. It's like when you get your first mortgage, you really start to learn the value of money. And so I, had, I, I joined the public service because, the federal public service, because as you passed subjects, they paid your fees. So I did a part-time degree and got my degree paid for by the Commonwealth Public Service, which was quite good, but I got into a terrific job there. Yeah, uh, what yeah. was that? Uh, well, I, I moved to Canberra with the department and then I joined the American Projects branch. And this was a department that did all the defence R&D, ran the NASA tracking stations, oh, some of the spook chase, fabulous. And, and did defence procurement and what have you. And it was like a boys' own annual sort of a job. Anyway, so I got into that boys job. Boys and toys. And then that's <laughs> it. Anyway, in 20, uh, let me think, what was it? Oh, God, I can't remember. It would have been about uh, yeah, 1969. The, the, the second judge, the big boss at, at this department came to me and said, Tony, um, we've got a position available in our embassy in Washington, D.C. Would you like to take it and move over there with your family? <laughs> would I what <laughs> and what's my role and was it truly a surprise to you it was and it was a real shock and then I so went over there and I worked as an attache for the defence research and, would have been and such defence a hard procurement job. <laughs> and I did liaison with NASA which was just fantastic I was only 27 you know it was fantastic and uh, NASA invited me to the Apollo 16 launch no down way. Cape Kennedy down I went as a guest of the United States government and and I used to travel around all the defence bases. What was happening deep? Like, you must have felt like, I've just won the lottery ticket. Oh, this is it. I've died and gone to heaven. This is it. This is it. I can die now. I've <laughs> done yes, it. I've done everything. I made it. And we had this beautiful, beautiful colonial-style home in, in Potomac, and I, I bought a Mustang. <laughs> this, is, this is a humble public servant from a government house in Canberra, you know. So that was the beginning of my real career. So do you think that that experience and, and, and seeing that life can be like that yes. propelled you to... It did. It opened my eyes. Yeah. It opened my eyes to the opportunities of the world. And, yeah. So, but can we just rewind back for a second? What do you believe was the trigger for you to be selected to go? Uh, those, first stop to Washington. Yeah, first stop. I think the first thing, it, the, guy, the guy in charge was a guy called Lloyd Bott, who was a, uh, a naval hero from the Second World War. He, he used to captain PT boats taking resistance uh, uh, people and s supplies into yeah. occupied France and back again and get shot up every night sort of thing. Mm. So he's an incredibly brave guy and a great guy, a brilliant fellow. Um, I think... He said what attracted him to me in terms of my opportunity. One, I'd had the, I'd had the character to go and do a degree part-time and do well in it and get the degree. And two, I, I had a good capacity for hard work but also was intelligent and engaged and loved the technology and even though right. I'm an engineer and all that stuff, that I really enjoyed it. So you and were got, resourceful as well. Yeah, and, and I got results and I got stuff done. So it was the old thing about, you know, if you get stuff done and you've got a really good boss and mentor, your career can take off. So it was three 
incredible years. I mean, it did change my life uh, in many respects. So then I came back to Australia and I got into the pipeline authority because I realised it was an energy crisis and then I got a bit bored with that and I decided I must do something a bit more exciting because then the pipeline authority we built the member to send the gas pipeline yeah. and um, I love construction. And I was out on site and we're arguing with the welders who are always going on strike and all that stuff. And that was just great fun. Oh, I really like that. And then, so I thought, well... Why, because there was striking? Or oh, no, no, just there was the, always the arguments and fights and stuff. It was always good fun. And, and I like those down-to-earth sort of people that actually do things, that produce things. And, you know, and uh, they were hard-working people and, and very skillful and what have you. And they're lying, laying thousands of kilometres of pipe and... In, in incredibly difficult circumstances, and they just get on with the job. So, do you actually go on on I the field as well? I love going on site. I love putting the hard hat on and the boots on and getting out inside. That's good fun, and having a beer with the boys. Pick up a shovel. Yeah, never. <laughs> not, <laughs> not, really. not good at that. <laughs> anyway, and so then um, I fall in love with construction, and I, I was getting bored with the public service and with Canberra, and uh, and so I thought I'd like to get in construction. So. I, Called a mate of mine, and he was a friend of Franco Belgiorno's. He said, Franco might be interested in you, come and have lunch. So I went to lunch in North Sydney in Arthur Street, where they had their head office and had a nice uh, cafeteria or a restaurant actually on the, on the top floor, and I had lunch with Franco. And yeah, that was another milestone that completely that changed your life. Franco said at the end of lunch, um, well, Mr. Shepherd, you're just what we need. You're very good in contracts. I know that and you can manage contracts well and we need that in transfer because the contracts are getting bigger and more complicated and we need yeah. somebody like you. And, uh, and he said, when can you start? Ooh. <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> I said, a couple of weeks. He said, all right, start in a couple of weeks. So, well, how much are you going to pay me? Don't worry about that. I'll look after you. <laughs> and, and he did. And he did. And this, he did. And he absolutely did. Franco was quite a legend. Again, another, like Lloyd Bott, another great, in my family, great influence on my life. Right. Great influence. So, did you know already that you're going to be part of this amazing project that will completely change? No, no, I had no idea. Yeah. So I went in there as a contracts manager and working on contract claims and contracts and what have you and worked on, you know, power stations and all that sort of thing. And it was interesting. It was good work, good work. But I got... I felt that there was more and I'd read an article on financial engineering and saw that this thing about the private sector actually funding infrastructure on behalf of government was the modern go. This is the thing to do. So you came to present it to Yeah, yeah. So I then, we did a pipeline, an oil pipeline for a private outfit and that went out, that went pretty well. Anyway, uh, an accountant who, who was my personal accountant came to me and with a group of people had an idea for a tunnel across the harbour. And I thought, this is a cracker of an idea. This is a great idea. And um, and so I went to Kumagai, who were our partner, we were yeah. looking at opportunities to do this. And the Kumagai guy, Tony Matani, came down to the office and, and I had an office overlooking the, the expressway, so it was right there. And he said, we're in, we're in, this is a fabulous solution to the problem. So then I took it to Franco and you know what Franco said? Yeah. Why not? So Franco was a person that n never said why. He'd say, why not? That makes sense. 
Let's go. Give it a go. Let's try. See what so we can do. So here we are sitting with yeah. the person who actually thought like, okay, let's just make this happen. Make it happen. Let's yeah. change completely Quickly. the yeah. world yeah. operates in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the advantage of Transfield, you've got a phenomenal, yeah, yeah. you've got a terrific team around you. Yeah. You know, you've got Franco, his partner, Carlos Alteri, terrific people. And then you've got a, a construction workforce, partner. You know, I mean, and these were people that would build anything anywhere under any circumstances and do it properly, you know. And then we had a great partner in Cuma guy who were ex very experienced. In fact, they'd just done the, the Hong Kong Tunnel. We, so the Sydney Tunnel was a copy so of the what are, like, in nearly like, how did the universe organise this that positioned you to be at the right? I always say the, the preparedness needs to meet the opportunity. It does. And, and that's exactly what has happened it's, to you. It's serendipity. I believe yeah. in serendipity. I, I don't, you know, I'm not deeply religious, but you know, it's sort of the gods <laughs> organise things. So I'm there at the right time when my accountant, my tax accountant, meets these people and they're looking, they want to meet somebody in Transville and talk about the possibility of us doing this tunnel. Did you feel like, like when that was all happening, did you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm making this happen? Like I am, like what was happening in Tony's head or heart? I was just excited about the opportunity and just thought, oh, this is fantastic. This is a great opportunity. So we developed it to a stage and we got exclusivity with the government. Because um, I, I believe only like last year, the 30 years of... 30, the concession's yeah. just finishing now. Yeah. But what... Um, Franco was terrific with the political end to convince right. the government they should give us a chance to do this. The government laid some, laid some ground rules about the tunnel, its length, its yeah. capacity, the tolls and all that stuff. And, uh, and we had to live within those and spent a lot of money developing the proposal at our own expense and it all stacked so up. So Franco funded all of that? Yeah, we, we are Franco, uh, well, Transfield and our partner, Kuma Guy, funded yeah. that. And uh, we had a construction team and design team led by some Incredible. outstanding, absolutely outstanding people and really good engineers. And we came up with, a, with the answer and we so then negotiated, you... we negotiated for weeks and months with the, with, the, with the government over this with the department. Then it was the uh, Department of Main Roads and was, you know, we were negotiating at one or two o'clock in the morning and I'd be saying, oh, I want to put the word reasonable in there and they'd say, and, and the Kevin Ford, the, the lawyer for the government said, listen, you've only got five reasonables in this contract, this concession, and you've used them up. I said, well, can I take the one out of there and put this one in? <laughs> so we did. And anyway, we finally closed the deal and away we went and then Transville had a great team under a guy, Claudio de Berardino, which delivered the project with our Kuma guy partner who was just brilliant as well. So I've heard... Um, not only from you, but from other people as well, about Franco actually preparing a salad. As the, as the, as the every day at lunchtime, we, and what we do, we have lunch there every day. Uh, we'd have, at the most, one glass of wine. <laughs> because glass, glass but, of wine is good for you? <laughs> yes. Italians believe in everything, but everything in moderation. You know? yeah. And they don't like people who are drunks or alcoholic or what have you at all. That is just frowned upon behaviour. Uh, but we'd all get together, the executive team, whoever was around, because we're all travelling all the time all yeah. over the place. And we'd have a guest, you know, and we might have a Whiteley there, you know, the artist or something. And you've got this sort of weird mixture of, you know, construction people and 
and, and, artists, and, and, someone and artists, the artists and what ballet dancers and everything. You know, it was just terrific. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll come to your appreciation. And Franco, of... would, Franco would make the salad dressing every day. So the salad would come in on the bowl and he'd make the dressing and put it on, mix it all up and then serve it to us. That was the tradition. Frank would mix the dressing and mix the salad every day. Yeah. That is such a beautiful story. And, and it, I know also that you also have been heavily influenced because of Franco into appreciating and really understanding art. Yes. So coming back to Brett Whiteley or whoever coming, was it because Franco always had this circle around him? Yes, it was. But he also thought, uh, and I think in my case, because he used to take me to, to, with him to the Art Gallery of New South Wales and whatever, he thought this was part of my intellectual growth. And he okay. recognised that I did like art, knew yeah. nothing about it. And so, so he, he provided the, the, the educational opportunity. Okay. So I can remember um, we were in Italy negotiating something with a German uh, head contractor. Uh, we stayed in Milan because he didn't want to stay in Germany. <laughs> anyway, flew in and out every day. Anyway, and I was, after we finished and we had a good outcome and I'd, we'd, I'd won a lot of money, we'd won a lot of money for the company. And, he's, and we're going home and I said, oh, I'd like to go to the Brera and see The Last Supper. You know, one of the most yeah, famous yeah, yeah. paintings in the world. And then I said, oh, Mr. Belgiano, the museum shut on Mondays. And they've opened it up for him. And yeah, he said, Tony, Tony, meet me downstairs at nine o'clock at the car. Nine o'clock in the car, we go up to the Brera. I didn't say a word, knock on the door. The, the head, head curator comes out, Franco, how are you? Gives him an embrace, personal guided tour of the Brera. Amazing. Isn't that amazing? Now, you can't replace those moments in your life. Okay. That, that affection and that care that he would do that I know we just we just made a lot of money and was happy with that, but that was Franco. You know, he 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 was a special man. He was very special. Everyone speaks only yeah, really very, beautifully he, and yeah, highly. He's very special, special guy. Yeah, and the you know the family was great. I mean, they're all artistic in one way or another. Luca and Marco and, and Guido loved music, and so yeah. Guido sucked me into the ACO. And I was on the board there. For well, I I I understand that because I had some doing with the ACO that Belgiorno Nettis actually have made the ACO play on beautifully instruments. They have. They have. <laughs> They've done a great job. And that's a great tribute to yeah. Guido because the ACO was battling when yeah. he took over as chair and I think it's, I, I always say to Guido, I think it's one of your greatest achievements. But that love of the arts and culture comes from Franco and from his wife were both highly cultured people. And it transferred the boys, and some of it rubbed off on me, <laughs> which is great. Which is yeah. fabulous. Yeah. I mean, here yeah. we are. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah, yeah. Just looking at a bread, bread yeah. widely, and yeah. a Picasso. Yeah, it's it. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, was there any moment or doubt as you were building the tunnel that maybe this will not happen, or something will come I'm, I'm, in I'm, every redevelopment? I'm, I'm, there is always. Yeah. I'm always a warrior. Right. I'm always a warrior. Yeah. And I think, I don't know whether that comes from my background or what have you, but I worried all the way through. But fortunately, I wasn't involved deeply at all in the construction of it. I just stood back and watched it happen and it was unbelievable. And every day I drive through it, 
You must think about I, those I, moments, I of, like I the salad, or, or I, think, I don't know. I, I think about that. I think about it all the time. I drive through it and say, "What a wonderful thing this is to add to it." I feel proud of it. I'm, I'm not... part of a team. I know that, but I, I feel very proud of it personally. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, I always question when I drive the sheer volume of water above. Above it, yeah. <laughs> Twenty-five meters of water over your head, and yeah. and, <laughs> and and I don't know. <laughs> They're always sort of. No, it's well designed, and it's 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 a beautiful tunnel as well, beautifully maintained because we had a long-term maintenance contract with it, so it's been kept in immaculate condition, and it's. It'll last another 50, 60, 70 years easily if it's properly maintained. Yeah. Well, I, I have to say, I, I think that, I mean, it's now 30 years and it does not feel like a 30-year-old. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't. It doesn't look like one, does it? Yeah. I mean, it, you could clean it, but you can't clean it because of the oh, well, it's dust. Well, it's cleaner than any other tunnel we've got <laughs> because we have to clean it. They have to clean it yeah. regularly. And, um, and that's the advantage of contracting out because you can put that in the contract. Whereas the government. So how often that, do they clean the tunnel? I don't know now. It used to be every six months or twelve months. And how do you clean a tunnel? Oh, you got a machine that does it. Like come yeah, and yeah, cleans yeah, the walls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. There's, there's something varying these days. So, yeah, but it's um, it's it was a great project, and uh, our team did a wonderful job delivering it and running it. There's no doubt. So, what was the celebration once the you know once the two sides connected? What? Oh, well, oh, I think we had you know, a long lunch. I, you know, I like uh, the big celebration was when we closed the deal, and I spent thousands of dollars on French champagne. <laughs> and Transville was very clever on expense accounts, very careful. So what did they do? They, they didn't say a single word. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't say a single word. Nobody would have said anything to me at that stage because we just closed the biggest deal in our history. Yeah. And um, when the tunnel opened, and that, that was a big item as well, did you think that you were going to build something similar or of that scale again? No, or? I was on the the whole time then. So then we did the Melbourne City Link project, That's correct. which is Melbourne's biggest project, and uh, you know, we just kept going from there. We did. You feel like you were then given a ticket, like so I know how to do this. Yeah, do that, and then uh, we also did the Anzac Warship project, going back to my temp defence career, and we privatised the Williamstown dockyard, and we built ten warships, eight for us and two for the Kiwis, so on time and on budget too. <laughs> that is incredible yeah. i mean I, I look at the trajectory of all of the projects mm. and i even look at what i mean just the most most recent mm. project which is the um in the um i call i call it fox studios but mm. it's um the, oh, the new stadium yeah. the new stadium and this incredible new gym there. yeah well like see again that was a hard you know the government said yes and then they said no and then i had to talk to them into doing something yes again and then there's all people all the experts get involved and they want to sort of descale it and they don't want and I'm saying no this has got to be a tier one, you know, top tier, is, it's... top class world stadium that people from all over the world say, Wow, this has got the wow factor. Yeah. So I So what gave you that a lot of times when people they mm. they build something to just make it functional or do. Whereas you always aim for First class, make it really. I agree. Yeah, I think. Look, if we look at our forefathers and mothers, if you look at like say Macquarie Street and the, when they built all those beautiful sandstone buildings, yes, they could have done it a lot cheaper with brick or something timber. 
No. They carved them. So you felt like that's your... This is what you have to do. This is what each generation has to do. We, Sydney in particular, went through an ugly period in the (laughs) 70s. And I, I felt that was just awful. And I think when you're doing major infrastructure, you sh- you have not, responsibility. It's not just functionality; it's it's beauty and elegance and what have you. Has got to be there. Even in a tunnel, it's got to look good. It's got to look right. Um, you know, and so just go for excellence, and think about what is this going to look like in 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years time. Yeah. So you must be feeling really proud of if I sort of look at the list of really substantial changes that you were able to make in in Australia, um, how does, like, do you like sometimes go, wow, this is me, like I'm the boy who... Well, well, look, I I, I do, I have some proud pride in it, but I think it's important to emphasise that none of this would have been possible. Without people. Without people and without a great team around me and I've got people that work with me or for me on the, a lot of these projects are still working with me and who I regard as you know close friends but also people I absolutely rely on for advice and guidance you know that it's it's the team nobody nobody does it on their own nobody and when they do that that doesn't last long yeah. You, I, I yeah, agree. The team is everything. And it, and the trick in business and in life is to surround yourself by an like a, the right people. A-class team. True. Yeah, and that's it's funny when you do that, but it seems to work. But well. it's so good, right? It's like, so good and it becomes fun. It's, it is. Like I, I was yeah. very fortunate recently. I actually had a small gathering in my home and I wanted to um, just sort of acknowledge what people are around me and how lucky I am. To, to have that and I truly was shedding tears because I felt so honored yeah. that these people are my friends, friends. and they're close, yeah. and, they're close and, and I was like yeah. and I admire every single one yeah. of them yeah. which yeah. is so so beautiful yeah. so we've now finished the tunnel you are on high you then go and keep on building more yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> but there is still another major milestone for you, which is you become the chair of the cricket SCG Trust. SCG yeah. Trust. Yeah. So how did that happen? Well, I've been on the trust for a long time, and um, Barry O'Farrell had taken over as premier, and um, he rang me and said, oh, "I'd like to make you chairman of the, the the old chairman's going. I want you to replace him." I said, "Oh, look." I'm pretty busy, Barry. He said, no, I want you. I said, well, just make me deputy chair. No, I insist. So I took it and it, it was a fabulous, a great honour because the Sydney Cricket Ground Trust in terms of the history of Sydney and cricket is huge. Just, Yet it's, again, it's, it's, another it's huge. I love cricket and, you know, I, I, my whole family was crazy about cricket and was to go to the cricket when I was five years old at the MCG in Melbourne uh, with my mother and father. But um, the... Uh, it was a great honour and something I really enjoyed. And the, and the trust was a great trust and they had, had we still do, had tremendous staff and good, great people. It was just beautiful. It was just like, oh, this is this is good. This is really good. I'm enjoying this. Yeah. And, and did you have like a vision of what you will be doing as part of that role or was it, 
I'll go in and... No, no, I wanted to improve the facilities immediately. <laughs> you Straight away. Yeah, straight away. That The old Allianz Stadium's got to go. It's, so it's just... an embarrassment. Um, I mean, it's an embarrassment. I mean, on a major event, you have to have port orders. Forget it. We're supposed to be the best city and the best it was country in the world. And we've with got my port- limited cricket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we've got port orders for major events. Forget, forget it, you know people queuing up for hours to get food and beverage or women couldn't go to the toilet and you know, I said, That's this is just not good enough for us. This this yeah. city, this country this state can do better. So I was driven on So that what from day uh, one. what has taken or how did you manage to get this across the line? Because we actually had a stadium in a lot of people's I mean no, they never used it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well what's the I'm very good strategist now, guys. <laughs> I've learned that over the years. First of all, get the media on side and oh, get the sports on side. And they are very handy lobby groups. So with the exception of the Sydney Morning Herald, they had the whole of the media, including the TV cha- major TV channels, on side, major commercial TV channels and like that, on side. And I had, all, of course, all the sports were, were absolutely online, you know, people... Like the football people, the rugby league people, the rugby union—no argument from them. Well, uh, they and have especially been... the ones that were playing internationally were saying, "Well, look, when we have international federations here and we go to that old, we state, feel embarrassed. We are embarrassed." And yeah. I can remember somebody from Fifer. I was there with one of the uh, really senior guys at Fifer, and we walked out onto the old stadium, and he said, "Mr. Shepherd, I've got to tell you, this is not up to our standard. Don't even think about it." That was a message. And you used that line. I lose that line forever. <laughs> and he was so right. Yeah. And I knew he'd say that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in the public domain, there was quite a lot of discussion mm-hmm. about that, but you managed to get it through. What made you want to create that beautiful sports um, club that you have done as well? Okay. As well, look, that was, um, we had to pull down the old one when yeah. we, we built a club there just on some spare property or spare, we had a spare building to do it in and we didn't even know it would work out. I can remember the CEO at the time saying, well, let's give it a go. Turned out to be a great success. So when we come to building the new stadium, we had some space and our CEO, Kerry Mather, said, well, why don't we go really... Top end. Top end again. Because I, I believe in, if you're going to do something, do it properly. He said, yeah, absolutely, let's go. Let's go. So I think we've built the best fitness centre in Australia. It's it's And it's, it's amazingly popular and it's stunning. And again, it's sustainable. Uh, so there's two things for doing that. One is just because I like excellence. But the second thing is commercially, that, you know, we that attract a, we, lot, of a lot of people and we they pay for that pleasure. And that money goes back into running the whole network of stadiums from Newcastle through Sydney to Wollongong. Which I don't think we are a business. We're running a business. We're running a commercial business on behalf of the taxpayer of New South Wales. And our job is to make sure that we can maximise our revenue within reason and cover our costs. And that's what we do. Amazing. That's the other thing. I'm frugal. I, 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 I'm a business person, yeah. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there was going to be a campaign to sell the membership for the sports club, mm. yet it sold in the first 24 hours. It did. And it was oversubscribed. Yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Well, credit to Kerry on that. It was a great design and it became the hot item in the eastern suburbs. And, and if we can take the money, that's great. And they're happy with the, the, the result. Well, that's fantastic. So everybody benefits. And 
So all those people, you know, in the in the general public, you know, they're Minister. enjoying the benefits of this. And, many and, and I have to say, living in eastern suburbs, it is really, like, I know there is a lot of fitness clubs around, but this is a club, truly a club where you it go is, to. It does, it is. It's got we a can club spend a whole day there. You can, yeah. And, yeah, we've got a great, we're, we're operating it ourselves with our own people. Yeah. Who are theoretically Which means public servants. Yeah. <laughs> they don't act like public servants. They certainly don't. And and Kerry's driven a real cons- customer service sort of, you know, ethos there. And so yeah, It's beautiful. Yeah. But again, you surround yourself with good people. Yeah. You get a good result. Amazing, huh? You get a good this result. This formula seems to it be working really all the time. People find it so hard to understand. Yeah. So yeah. please, people, yeah. remember, yeah. surround yourself with the right people. I always try and recruit people that are better than me. You know, actually, someone else um, who is very successful and, and and powerful in in Sydney said to me exactly the same: yeah. hire someone stronger after you and yeah. surround yourself with people who can only excel and improve on your job. Yeah. Exactly, that's what you should do, and it yeah. works. It works yeah. every time. Yeah. Yeah, and we know that you know the the squeaky wheel in the team is always a problem, and the car can't move properly. If the, I call them rotten apples. Yeah, or rotten apples. Yeah, they can do the whole job. Yeah. But squeaky wheel. You know, well, I call them. We, we don't. We don't like rotten apples in our fruit basket. No, we don't. <laughs> no, it doesn't. That doesn't work, and that's it's yeah. a lesson of life. And it's amazing. And, and the other thing too is when you're working, it should be. I mean, you work hard, and you will have tensions and what have you, but it should be enjoyable you should be able to have a laugh and go out for dinner or have a drink or something afterwards or you know you should you should have that ability to to see the lighter side of life well there there is actually it this is from all all consulting firms actually will tell you this in strategies that if you allow people to have a friend or a positive experience at work the efficiency increases in the productivity oh, yeah. substantially yeah. and this is for example how i i never tell someone they can't take holidays mm. with their family because if you tell someone that their family is not as important or less important than the work yeah you have them out of the office in yeah. six months time That's you've right. lost them yeah look i think you're right it's got to be a pleasant experience that's why i'm sort of worried about this working from home thing because you actually some people anymore. like it. Yeah, some people like it, but that also says that maybe they're not happy in the office either. That's and that may not be them. It might be the the manager. We never leave companies. We leave managers. We never Ooh. leave companies. We only leave managers. That's true. I actually used to work somewhere. I will not say why, but they used to have a name for this one person that no one liked. And they used to call this person the board. Yeah, the board. <laughs> the board, because yeah. it was the board who told us to do this. Yeah. But it wasn't the board, it was just one person. It wasn't yeah. the whole board. Yeah. Anyway, but it, it does happen. But so here we are, yet again, another incredible, impactful development. What what was the, how did you become the chair? and? The, the first chair of Giants. Oh, oh the Giants? Oh, oh just, just the Giants. Yeah, I was just, just 
<laughs> I always fall for flattery. <laughs> no, no. What happened was they, they were opening, they were creating this new team in Western Sydney, which is probably the most competitive location in Australia because, you know, rugby league, rugby Absolutely. Uh, uh, and, and football are so popular there. Exactly. No, not much AFL there. <laughs> anyway, thinking, oh, God, this is going to And so um, Fitzpatrick, who's, who was the uh, chairman of the AFL and Demetrio, who was the CEO, came to see me. And I knew them through business. I worked with Fitzpatrick on major... He was a fund, you know, in funds, uh, investment banker and working on funding Melbourne City Link. So right. I knew him well. So they came to see me and said, look, we know you love AFL and it's given you enormous pleasure over your life. <laughs> and we think you should be the chairman of the new Greater Western Sydney Giants. So, oh, God, no, I'm pretty busy. I haven't got the time. No, you should do it. No, no, no. Oh, let me think about it. I'll go on the board. I don't want to be chair. Because so the, the story we have actually had before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here we are again. Yeah, you become yeah. the chair. Yeah, so... Anyway, they had a the new the first CEO and great guy who's still closely associated with the club, and uh, anyway, so he sent me my obituary, <laughs> <laughs> and Tony Shepherd's died today, and then there's this long thing about what a wonderful job he did in creating the GWS Giants, and blah 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 blah, and I fell for it. <laughs> he did it. it. He really did that. Yeah, he did. And then. Do you and, still have it? Yeah, I've still got it. I've still got it. I've got it off him recently. He's a, he's a terrific player. And um, anyway, um, and then, that. so, and then so I said to Mauricio, he said, I said, oh, look, I yeah, think about it. He said, look, Tony, it's a couple of hours a week. <laughs> it <laughs> never is. <laughs> and then from that moment on, when even to today, if I see Demetrio, he says, how's the two hours a week going, chef? <laughs> <laughs> so, so the two hours is the drive. <laughs> two hours is the drive, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so look, it was um, it was pretty tough going at the start, but you know we again we had a great team of people. How did you hire the players? Well, what we did is we had uh, had uh, the pick of the draft effectively for three years. Yeah. So we picked them from that, and then we picked a handful of mature. Pr- players on the verge of retirement and gave them leadership positions as sort of on-field coaches in the team. Right. And it worked brilliantly. And we, again, we had great people. We had a great CEO. Dave Matthews had taken yeah. over as CEO by then. We had, a, you know, uh, Gary Ellen was the, the head of our football department. I mean, had Leon as the coach. Uh, and we had um, really good people in the welfare area. Uh, terrific uh, people there and that was the quality of the team was really good and the boys were just terrific but um, um, and we had of course Kevin Sheedy was the the coach of uh, the the initial coach and Sheedy came up with this plan that we'd take all these young boys first time away from home first time in Sydney 17 18 year old what could go wrong everything Everything. (laughs) so he said well, he was living in, um, in, 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 in a development on the, on the water in, in, uh, in, in, West, in Western Sydney, just not far from the club. Anyway, he said, um, why don't we put all the boys in here? They'll have a two-bedroom flat, two, two boys to each flat, and they'll all be together in the one area 
and and you've got you've got all of us there to look after them, and it worked like a dream. And as a result, the boys all bonded. They're under constant sort of supervision. So they created like a new family they did. unit. So the Lamberts were the the uh, Craig was our uh, one of our assistant coaches, and his wife Mel were like the parents in house parents, yeah. like and in they, a wedding. School. And they taught them they taught them how to cook, how to clean how to do a washing machine, how to do a dishwasher, how to drive, how to open a bank account, how to go shopping. All of those things they, they learnt and in that sort of community of environment. And you'd go to the Lambert's house at night and there'd be all these long skinny kids lying across the floor in the lounge room eating pizza, watching TV. And it's just a family away from home. And so we created a club which was based on the concept of family. We're a family. Hey, hey, I've all got family. You know, I have to say it feels like I have been to yeah. quite a few functions and it feels like it's it's warm, it's a family. It there is. Is a I've tried to encourage that from the get-go, but I had no argument with anybody. They all, yeah. and, and she's had that, Shetty had that going and the Lamberts had that going and and uh, and Gabby Ellen had that going and, uh, you know, it's it, it just fitted. Right. It fitted. And what a, what's our target market? Families, mum, dad, couple of kids, Western Sydney. That's what we're after. So we got to we got to really live those values. values. We've yeah. got to live that. So we look after the families of the boys that live in Melbourne. You know, in the early yeah. days when we had the game down, that we'd have an event. We'd go to a local pub in Carmel. They'd all come in and we'd catch up with them. And and you know, we we looked after them. Like and we couldn't do that during COVID. But the new batch of boys, we we had them all at the boathouse the other day. Gave them a boat ride over the boathouse. It is a beautiful venue. Yeah, venue beautiful. And one of our great sponsors provided us for that, which is great. And, uh, you know, and they were all sort of, this is just amazing. We just didn't believe that we'd get so close to the club and to the people that run the club. And, and you give us so confidence about how you're going to look after our young boys. And that's part of the culture of the Giants. That's a strong part of our culture. And it's, and, and it's not common. In it's not sport. common. It's not common in elite sport, and I know most of them. It's not common. But it's I, something we really live. We really yeah. live. Yeah, and it's so important because they perform much better if they feel safe, safe. They and do. loved. They do. They do. Yeah. Now, we, we were knocked around by COVID. That was pretty hard on us because yeah. we spent a lot of time away from Sydney. Didn't yeah. play too many games here and all that sort of stuff. It was hard work. But uh, we've come back now, you know, and the, the boys are... Revved up and ready to go. Yeah. Ready to go. Uh, yeah, I love going out to training. Though I don't haven't had much a tra- chance in the last few years because I'm just so busy elsewhere. But I'm putting more time into the Giants at the moment. It's just great to go out to training and watch them, and they really pin it's in. It's like that warm feeling. Yeah, it in does. Your and heart we've got the women's it. team now. We've had yeah. it for three years, and they're phenomenal as well. They're they're in many respects they're great because they never complain. Uh, they don't get paid much. And they do it purely out of love. Out of love, yeah. Yeah, and they just... And, and the sheer opportunity, I guess. Yeah, and it's just wonderful group of young women. I'm just outstanding. I mean, it's just a pure pleasure to deal with them and help them and what have you. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So you also are chairing the Powerhouse Fundraising, fundraising Committee. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did you get onto that? I was just lucky. <laughs> <laughs> no, they just got on to me because they, I think it might have been through, through, through the, uh, the Vice-Chancellor at 
at, uh, at uh, Western Sydney Uni, Barnaby. And uh, anyway, somehow they got on that I'm very, uh, I'm very interested in Western Sydney and its development. I think it's a, one of the great unsung virtues of Australia and New South Wales and Sydney in particular. And uh, anyway, so they asked me if I'd mind doing it. And, and, and it also got, uh, is going currently through some interesting developments. Yeah, well, like the the build, they, so they gave me a full briefing on it. I thought the building was stunning. Yeah. I thought their business plan, their game plan for this, for the museum was fine. This is not a fusty old yeah. dusty museum with heirlooms in it. This is an interactive museum where the displays are constantly changing, where the major sponsors and donors are actively involved in whatever is being shown and promoted. And it's... It, it, so I, a really I, new way. A of... new way of doing it. And I'd seen similar sorts of museums in the UK and in, in the yeah. United States and they people are just flocking to them because they're just far more interesting. Okay? And, and I, I also always believe that if you have a connection or an interruption, you or and you become engaged, which means that you actually feel the ownership of it so much more. So yeah, it it really yeah. Yeah. allows you to yeah. sort of step into yeah. it and not just yeah. observe yeah. it from yeah. a distance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It is amazing. So if you have our children and you also yeah. have grandchildren, what is the advice that you would give them today, having <laughs> looked at your life? <laughs> well, uh, work hard. Um, never stay in a job that bores you. Take a stock take if it yeah. doesn't work. Always find a boss that you like that can mentor you and help you develop as a person. Um, always seize opportunity. Always seize opportunity. And try to be a good person all your life. So it's you actually summarised what I always believe, like, the podcast is called Unapologetically Successful, but actually, before we go on to that, what's your definition of success? Well, success can be many things. I yeah. think it can be financial. Uh, that's obviously helpful because <laughs> we do need money to live on. But I, I think successful is, is are you happy and are the people around you happy and do you feel fulfilled? I agree. I yeah. so agree. Yeah. Because, so, my observation of people who have a zestful life and yeah. are full of life are the people who, who we define as successful. Yeah. And also, they have two things, really, major things in common. And you actually touched on both, which is, you call it work hard, I call it have a great. Yeah. And it's the discipline, the work, the commitment to... Yeah. Being, I guess, yeah, being proud yeah. and being the best you can be. The other one is positive mindset. Yeah. And, and successful people just believe things work out for like, them. Yeah, yeah. And work out for them, for where, whatever they touch. And I believe that's what gets them in any decision point to keep on going because they just know that it will yeah. succeed. Yeah. And what's the capacity to get over problems and to solve problems. And don't focus on problems. No, but don't, no, but always 
approach problems with a positive view and say, I will find a way through here. Because well, there are no the problems, there are opportunities. Sorry? There yeah. are no problems, there are opportunities. <laughs> there are problems and uh, they are opportunities to show what you're made of and what, you've, and what the team is made of yeah. and what the operation is made of. But you've, it's your capacity to resolve problems or issues is imperative in that. And that takes resilience, innovation, yeah. um, character, but also their capacity to comp compromise. See, a lot of people become intransigent and sometimes intransigence won't work in solving a problem. Yeah. In fact, it could make it work. Well, so you've got, to, you've got to have that capacity to say now it's the time to, to give some ground and make this happen. Do you regret anything? Um, or what's your biggest regret? That you're prepared to share. Well, my biggest regret in life would probably be that I didn't spend enough time with my children because I was working so hard. That would be my biggest single regret. Mm. Yeah, I have the same. Mm. I went to work when my daughter was 11 days and mm. my oldest son was six weeks. And um, I wish someone would have told me I should just smell the new baby, enjoy yeah. what it is. Mm. Yeah, more interesting. Yeah. So um, I, I've tried now to be with an overcompensate. Overcompensate <laughs> a bit with being a trying to be a good father and a good grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. Do you believe that the world as it is today has opportunities? Like you know, you build a whole tunnel. I mean, that mm, is mm. you know, how many tunnels can we build? I mean, a lot, but um, we have the harbour. Do you believe that the generation now has the same level of opportunities to create such a big impact? Of course they do. Yeah, yeah I, I just, they do. The challenges may be different, but they're there. I mean, we, we're trying to make this transition from fossil fuels to green, mm -hmm. uh, to re renewables. I'll tell you what, you want a challenge, that's going to be, that's a challenge. That's a good heart. one. That is a hell of a challenge. And it's going to take a lot of changes and it's going to take a lot of innovation and invention to do it properly. So, you know, that's, that's a huge challenge. Uh, the whole digital revolution is a huge challenge. And, uh, and the artificial intelligence. AI and how you apply it. Yeah. And, you know, some people say, oh, you know, it's taking away initiative, blah, blah, blah. No, no, I think this can create an even better world, a far better world than we've got. And that's the challenge is to how to harness that and how to use it. I mean, I think the young people today, have, they got the ball at their feet. I think they're, and they're a great generation. My God, I think they're terrific. And, uh, and I think every generation, other than, I actually feel really bad for generations that had wars. Yeah. That is terrible. But I think every generation has an opportunity and there is always yeah. something yeah. amazing. Yeah. I, I don't, under, don't underestimate this current generation. And I watch them through, you know, daughters and how they're going and what so where, where where for you next hey where for me next uh, i'll probably try and relax a little bit more i think i've taken on far too much i'm, I'm working but hard. you're loving it yeah no but i'm working too hard compared to what i've got to smell the roses a bit a little bit more i'm not not traveling as much overseas and i'm not going to you know not not doing as many things as i'd like i'm not reading enough and you now i've got a great library in there I got a lot of unread books there, and they they're calling me. 
I've got to find Come time. Come read me, yeah, come, read me. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to find time at all. Yeah, yeah. So I've got to get a little bit more, yeah, relaxing time. So I'll keep working. I'll, what I'm, is your favourite? I will bop till I drop. I, I actually don't think that you can retire personally. Yeah, yeah no. And most, most I but successful just, people don't ever retire. No, you just turn, well, them, turn it down a bit and get more time for the, so, the, your what is the first book you're going to read? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. I'm finishing off John Howard's book at the moment, the last book he wrote, which is a really good book about political balance. Yeah. So he, he gave it, a copy to me recently. And, uh, I've been, you have to. Yeah. And I, no, it's a great book. It's a great, great read because I love politics as yeah. well. Obsessed with the politics have been my whole Would life. Would you wanted to become a politician? No. Why? It's... The work is too hard, the pay is lousy, <laughs> the hours are atrocious, and, and 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 you never get credit for anything you've done well. <laughs> it's just like it's, a, it's the worst worst job in the world. I'm just glad there's people of good quality that are happy to do it. Yeah. You call, say, do you call them volunteers? They call them volunteers. Yeah. yeah. But it's a it's a it's a it's a thankless task, you know. Yeah. Where do you see, um, currently a lot of people, we are in 2023, a lot of people are talking about recession. With your mindset and what you've seen, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I think we can avoid recession. I think um, if you look at the... Is Australia or Australia, is the world? Yeah. No, I think the US, it's a real risk and my friends in the US are not happy. Yeah. And that's not natural for them not to be happy. To be unhappy is not... A natural US state of mind yeah. because they're always positive, yeah. but I get negative vibes. Uh, Australia, we've got our resources sector which we vilify, but frankly, gas, coal, and iron ore and China and China are paying the bills at the moment. Without them, our economy would be extremely well, average. We would be in recession. Without them, we would definitely be in recession. And all of our governments would be extremely heavily in debt without so any opportunity to I'll, pay I'll get a friend of mine is just writing a book, mm -hmm. um, The Lucky Country, I think he's going to call it. it has, there's one been written before? No, but it's, 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 it's actually, he's actually, mm -hmm. maybe he calls it mm -hmm. something else, but it's, it's, he's actually quoting something from, yeah. from The Lucky Country. Yeah. And he is doing the analysis of how comes that Australia... When the world was falling apart with GFC or whatever else, yeah, we had a dip, but we never experienced the same level of recession or whatever else. Of course, we did. As America or Europe. We did. And uh, he's doing the analysis of that. Yeah, I know. Well, it's an interesting analysis. I'll get him to give you the book. Give me the book. We'll tell him to do an analysis of what Australia would be like without the resources sector. That is scary. That is very scary. Yeah, well, he's actually going to be interviewed um, yeah. on this. Ask, ask him that question. <laughs> ask him that question because it's very scary without it. And maybe I should have the, the yeah. two of you and we can have a... <laughs> yeah. Well, look, the thing is, too, uh, all the crises of the world we've got through. Second World War, we came out of that very poor and in quite a desperate shape. But migration... Always helps made an enormous difference to Australia and actually kick-started our industrialisation and our modernisation in a way that may not have happened short of the World War, frankly, which is a sad way of saying it. But we've avoided serious recession 
we went sail through the GFC. I mean, the, the federal government did a good job. They did a guarantee to the banks hmm. early on, which they actually made a profit out of because they never had a drawdown on it. But um, the, uh, you know, we've sailed through all of that stuff really well. I mean, this is a, an incredibly prosperous country and, as you say, quite lucky. And But resources at the bottom of it. We've, we've got to get out of, we've got to get off that, though. We are a one-trick pony and that is extremely <laughs> dangerous. It's dangerous. Yeah. It's dangerous. We do resource extraction and, and sales really well. We're very good and very efficient at it compared to anywhere in the world and we're extremely reliable because we've got you know, very little sovereign risk. But we've got to find something else that we can export because a country of 25 million doesn't have a big enough domestic market no. to give you the level of prosperity that we enjoy. The only way you can get a level of prosperity like we enjoy is through export. And our export is mainly, mainly resources, a bit of food and a bit of tourism, you know, but they're much, much smaller proportion of yeah. it. And so we've really got to grow other things that we can, we've got to grow into other things that we can export, whether that's modern manufacturing, whatever, I don't know, but we've really got to get I always believe that we could diversity. become the next Silicon Valley. We could, we could, we've got the brights, we've got I, the smarts. I, I'm all for the next Silicon Valley. Yeah, no, we've got the smarts, we can do it, we can do it. For example, we're a world leader in quantum computing. Yeah. It's a good position to be in. Now we've got to make sure we exploit that and get behind them and look for the opportunities that will arise from that in quantum yeah. computing. Uh, you know, th that we are a world leader in that at the University of New South Wales. Yeah, uh, our universities are exceptional. They are. And so in that sort of area, we're world, world leading, yeah. So, if we would be sitting here in 10 years time, how does the world of Tony look like? <laughs> God, like well, yeah, we are I'm in still, your office yeah, in Kiribati yeah, on yeah, the water. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I hope I'm still alive. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it'll be like. Hopefully, I'm still working and thinking. Uh, hopefully, the mind has totally to gone. Yeah. What else to create? Yeah. Um, with the art collections that you have, do you? When you first started collecting art and the beauty of it, did you did you feel like this could keep on growing, or was it something where you could get engaged? Uh, well, I stopped growing because I got so busy because I haven't had a chance to put much time into it recently. That's the other issue. See, I haven't been to an art gallery opening for a few years. I used to go to them all. Right. Yeah. So that's the example. That's an example of things that I haven't been able to do because I'm. So today, busy. in ten years' time, yeah. we have more art on. Well, the, hopefully, which we is do. a hardly. Deep, yeah, oh, no, no. well, just hang it out of the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, it, it's something I really love and I enjoy and I hope to continue and to grow it and maybe rotate it and something, you know. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And who knows what will happen, right? Who knows? Thank you so much. Sarah, Sarah. Thank you so much. This has, this has been amazing. Okay, so good. much fun. Yeah. And um, off we go to the Parliament House. Yes. The government house. Government house. Yeah, there we go. Thank okay. you. Thank you.